turn back now to the New Testament, to Paul's letter to Ephesians, and we can read at verse 14 in chapter 3. Ephesians 3, at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. And so on down to verse number 19. As we continue to think of what it means to have a healthy gospel church, we do so uh, remembering that if we are looking for that, it does imply that uh, there are churches or there are uh, churches in the world that are unhealthy and need therefore a health check so that uh, the church of Jesus Christ will function as Christ designed it to be. And we saw from uh, 1 Timothy and chapter 3 the way in which God has a purpose for the church and we saw the, the structure of the way in which uh, Paul presented the church in writing to Timothy and the importance of the church being a witness and uh, upholding a truth as well as being a witness. And we saw from chapter 4 of this letter uh, last Sunday evening of the importance of the church as the body of Christ of which we are all members. And we come this evening to, to look at this passage and as we look at the way in which Paul is speaking to the same church to the Ephesians, we want to understand something of what he has to say to us here about health. And we want to do so by looking at his prayer, when he is praying for them in a particular way, and in the light of the way in which he understands their situation. Now we see that in verse number 14, that for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So he is bringing them to God in prayer because he recognises their needs, their needs because of what's happening around them, and their needs because of the way in which they are reacting and responding, or perhaps failing to respond to that in the way that they should. And in thinking of the healthy gospel church, you want to think of a prayer for a healthy gospel church. And when you think of the church as a body, in many ways the the key organ to the functioning of the body is the heart. If the heart is functioning as it should with its muscles, with its arteries, with its valves, if it's functioning as it should, then the body has the supply of blood that it needs and then the body is generally in good health or there'll be something wrong with other members. If the heart is functioning, then there is a vitality in life that is absent when the heart is not functioning. And so perhaps we should extend the, the title of the sermon to be a prayer for the heart of a healthy gospel church. And bearing that in mind, we want to see, first of all, that we have in the passage cardiology. There is a heart work to be undertaken for this church in Ephesus to be the healthy church that it should be. And we see from the verse number 16, the way in which he enters into his prayer, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He recognises from his experience and knowledge of them 
that they are weak and that they are frail. And we see the image emerging in the passage that that when he he thinks of their hearts, he he thinks of a dwelling place. And he sees that dwelling place as being insecure. He sees it as a dwelling place that is not suitable for a certain person to, to take up residence there. And so for that reason, he is praying to God that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. There is a request that according to the very riches that God has, which he has established through the finished work of Christ, the riches of his glory, the grace that he has provided in Christ, that in accordance with that, that moving down from from these resources where God has infinite fullness of the resources required for our salvation and the grace that says that from these resources nothing else is going to affect or change their situation unless what's going to happen comes from God himself. And at the very outset there's a lesson for us in that. We cannot bring about the change in ourselves through which we are going to be the people that God wants us to be. And yes, of course, we have a duty to God. We have a duty to commit ourselves to God, to live our lives in a particular way. But we are always dependent upon the resources of God, upon the Spirit of God, to bring about every change and to bring to us the resources that are necessary for that change so that he will change us. And here it's a change in the inner being. In that place where God meets with us and where we meet with God. Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that he delighted after the law of God in the inner passion. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that although the outward passion is decaying, the inner passion is being renewed. In Paul's thinking about his own relationship with the Saviour, he is thinking of himself on the inside and the place where God is working in his own consciousness and with a sense of the real presence of God so that he recognises day by day that he is living in that presence and with that presence, it is the inner being. The depths of your own being, that inner passion that you are, which is what you are when you are on your own and when you are separate from others, what is happening in your consciousness? What are your thoughts? What fills your inner being? What's going on inside of you? There are so many demands on your attention. There are so many channels into your hearts that fill us in our inner beings with so many other things that we need to have the ability and the strength to close off the taps to these supplies so that they will no longer fill our hearts with things that shouldn't be there. And here Paul is praying for them that God would grant them to be strengthened with power. It's the crumbling walls that need to be rebuilt. It's the the windows that need to be repaired. It's it's the roof that needs to be made watertight. 
And all of that is going to happen because God is going to give them strength. He is going to draw near to them in such a way as to give to them in their hearts that fortitude, that ability, that, that sense of being able to withstand everything that happens around them. But especially here to be a place that is ready for the residence of the Lord Jesus. And that's a lifetime goal if we are the children of God that we want Jesus Christ to dwell in our hearts to do so through faith. And here he recognizes that the hearts of the people of God in Ephesus are not ready for that, not ready for Jesus Christ to come and dwell with them. And when we look at the way in which Paul is addressing that, he is wise and clever to, to make a distinction between a person who is a traveller who is coming for an overnight stay for whom we can prepare very quickly and once they're gone we can prepare and tidy up after them. He is making a distinction between that kind of resident and drawing attention to the way in which this resident is going to dwell there not only as the person who is there forever for good not as the person who has a long term left in their hearts but as the person who comes to dwell with them to be master of what is his own house. And right from the beginning, and especially in chapter 2, we, we see the way in which the people of God in Ephesus, the way in which they are being built up like a spiritual house where, where the, the, their hearts are like the temple of God, where, where God is going to dwell in them and dwell with them. And here is the necessity for the preparation that only God can do so that Christ will come and stay with them. And, and we know, of course, that when Paul is telling them in chapter 2 that they were dead in their sin and that they were raised together with Christ, we know when he says that they were saved by grace, we know that the Spirit of God dwells in their hearts. But yet there is something missing in their lives that means that the power and influence of the Lord Jesus is not in their lives in the way that it should. And there is this sense of cardiology, the sense of, of rebuilding their hearts so that in their hearts there will be that royal seat for Jesus, the Son of God, to so dwell with them. And he is going to do that, of course, through their faith. We are not robots and God is coming to, to work in our hearts in this way. We are receiving through faith the very strength that God is giving to us to enable us to have within us all the resources that he has promised to give. And in this case, the strength through which our hearts will be a place in which she dwells. And it's worth asking ourselves the question tonight, 
What do we think your hearts are full of? What is it that, that fills our everyday lives? We have the capacity for so many other things. And we need to ask ourselves, do we have capacity for, for Christ to dwell with us in such a way as for him to be master of our house and to live by his rules and to understand what it means to be under his governing as well as under his shepherding and his protection. That as surely as he comes to look after us and to take care of us, that he comes to be our Lord and our master. The change of heart, the rebuilding that is necessary. We look around us and there are different homes and different or houses in different parts of our own community and across our island communities and some of them need to be refurbished before they become habitable and some of them need a lot of investment in order to refurbish and others can be refurbished quite quickly and sometimes in life that's the way we are as the people of God we look at our own lives and we see perhaps a, a massive refurbishment program that God needs to initiate in order to bring us to be what we should be. And because of the way in which Paul tells us and God tells us that the people of God are spiritual and, and they discern and they judge all things, because of that we may see a small refurbishment project required in one place, a larger one in another place. And so it is here with ourselves and, and across the whole of the community of faith that if there is going to be the healthy church that's going to serve the Lord Jesus as we should, then if, if that's going to be there, there has to be this work of strengthening and of reinforcing our hearts. And when we look at the way in which Paul describes them as those who were caving into every wind of doctrine, as those who were tossed to and fro like the waves of the sea. Their lives were in chaos as far as the doctrines of the gospel were concerned because of what was happening around them. And as Paul bows to pray for them as the children of God, he wants for them more than anything else to have the whole of Christ by the power of the Spirit dwelling in their hearts. Our need for the heart surgery that only God can carry out and that only God is qualified and gifted and equipped to do exactly what is required so that the heartbeat will return and so that the body will, will benefit from a healthy heart, the cardiology. Secondly, we want to see that arising from that uh, and in the steps that, that Paul takes through this prayer, that once that is established and Christ does dwell in our hearts by faith, that then we have the communion that is at the centre of the way in which the people of God live and work 
together in the world. And that coming, first of all, is based on the way in which, because of the indwelling of Christ, because that is restored to them a sense of stability, and because now there is evident progress in their lives. And to give to us a sense of, of that stability, Paul uses two images and two, two metaphors to bring our attention to the way in which in the middle of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love. As we sang in Psalm number one, that the man is uh, as perfect blessedness, the one who, who his life is like a tree planted by the river that yields its fruit in its season. There's that sense of being rooted in the love of Christ and from there, there is that sense of life and of living that grows because of the life and the love of Christ Jesus. And Paul speaks in, in Romans 11 of the way in which the, the olive tree and the branches, of the way in which if the root is holy, the branch will also be holy. And as soon as Christ Jesus comes home to our hearts and takes up his residence, we are immediately rooted in that way in his love. And yes, of course, it may mean our own love for him in response, but, but our love for him knows no object or focus apart from, from us being rooted in the great love with which God has loved us in Christ and the great love with which Christ himself has loved us. And so, because of that rooting in, 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 in the love of Christ, that there is through the heart of the child of God that, that sense of throbbing and of living and of the heart of the child of God who being filled with the love of God because it is his very DNA and his very nature that it gains from the massive ocean of God's redeeming love. And that's progress. And it's not just progress, it's, it brings a sense of, of what we long for, to have that joy and, dare we say, that the excitement of understanding the great love of God for us, and to sense that it is what's flowing through our lives, not something that someone will explain to us and tell us so much about it, but something that is running through our lives, something that fills all that we do. It's the heartbeat of our lives. And again, we, we ask ourselves, how much tonight is, is our hearts throbbing in that way, with pulsating with, with a sense of the great love of God for us in Christ Jesus? If Christ is at home in our hearts, that sense of permanence and for sure that's the kind of life we will sense is filling our hearts and because of that there is not only the sense of life but there is that stability that now comes from that same love being the foundation grounded in love that what lies beneath everything that we are it's no longer 
the, the, the ocean of Christ's love that, that, that provides life for, for my heartbeat. But that same ocean now becomes the foundation on which I stand and that gives stability so that whatever happens around, then that house will not fall. And it reminds us of the Seven on the Mount where Jesus is talking about those who hear his words and do them, that they are like a house that is built on a rock and when the storm winds come, the house did not fall because it was built upon the rock. And instead of being tossed to and fro as they were because of what was happening around them, there's just stability, there's just strength, there's just forming, that there's progress in their lives. And Paul has that kind of image in his mind when he's praying that, that as he observes them, that so he will see this kind of development and this kind of stability against all of the challenges that they meet in the world. And how much we ourselves need that sense of stability in life. When so often the ground on which we stand as the people of God, so often it's like quicksands, so often it, it trembles underneath us and we struggle to find a sure footing. We cannot even find the stepping stones that are bound to the rock that is underneath. We are so often overwhelmed by, by a sense of, of the enormity of, of what is happening around us that is so contrary to what we desire in our hearts and what we expect to see. And instead of having the strength to stand we wobble and we fall down and we do become overwhelmed. But in the stepping stone of this prayer, the marvel that you and I can and are able to, I should, by living as the children of God with this strength and grace in our hearts that we should know that stability as well as knowing that living that these two strands are at the very centre of, of the very fabric of our being. Life of the love of God in Christ. The stability of the love of God in Christ. That love which is without beginning and without end. That love concerning which God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness I have drawn you. And it is from there that we see the communion that's at the centre of the life of the church. It takes us back to, to the body of Christ in chapter 4, where we are all in the one body, where, where you and I are members in the one body of Christ, and he is the head. How do we see that working here? We see there is communion with the people of God that we may, they may have strength to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. He wants them to be capable of comprehending 
He wants them to be able to take to themselves, not in the sense of, of fully understanding, but to take possession of the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God. In other words, they have not yet grasped as much as they should and could. They haven't yet grasped all of the, the greatness of the love of God. And now because they are, they are growing up together and, and developing together, because of that, the saints, they come together as those who are set apart by God, the Spirit of God in their hearts to make them the children of God, that the saints who are so set apart that together they are grasping, they are taking possession of, and they are being filled with the whole of the love of God. And the St. Paul in writing to Philippians to illustrate what he is saying here, he's on about the way in which he is longing for the resurrection of the dead. And he's saying, I am not saying that I have already taken hold of it, that is, taken possession of it, but he presses on for it. And so it's the same idea that we have here, the, the comprehending is taking to ourselves. And it's the image of all of the people of God together, looking at this great love of God, beginning to understand what this great love of God means, and together taking possession of it. And that brings to, together the whole way in which the body of Christ, the, the church of Christ, the way in which is going to function. Because if, if everyone does not have the same capacity to understand the love of God, if everyone is not able to take possession of, of the love of God as it is brought before us in, in the word of God, then there's going to be a disjoining. There's going, there are going to be disparities. There are going to be different ways in which the body's not going to function. But how powerful it is when we see the whole church of Christ in this picture that Paul has, taking possession together. That all of us here tonight would have our hearts so made ready and our arms so outstretched that we take of God's love and our hearts become filled with it. That breadth and length and height and depth, whatever that means. Augustine will say, it reminds him of the cross, the arms of, of the Lord Jesus suspended on the wood of the tree, and the top pointing to heaven, and the cross in the earth. Others will say that it speaks to us of the heights to which the love of God takes us, the depths to which the love of God took the Son of God. And no matter how much we try and measure the love of God, that we can never reach its boundaries, its limits. Whatever it means, it means this. That if we understand the love of God, 
there is nobody beyond our loving as there is nobody beyond the loving of God and so it brings the, the communion uh, to see the way in which in this loving it's loving for everyone no matter what and if we do understand love we will do so because God loved the unlovable when he came to love ourselves Paul speaks of himself being the chief of sinners none of us are worthy of, of the, the love of God the love with which he comes to save we marvel at his love and because we begin to understand what his love means we will never come to the point at which we're saying we cannot love this person we cannot love that person our love stops here because of x y and z that never happens in the lives of the people of God who are so taking possession of the love of God in this way. The communion of the love of God. How transforming that whole image is. How it gives to us a picture of a healthy body that is working because of a healthy heart and because that heart is indwelt by no one less than Christ himself and from the house of our hearts from our inner being from that house we live and we go and we love and we love every which way that way and that way and down the way our love knows no bounds and knows no limits. The communion that comes because of the heart surgery, the cardiology. And finally, that brings us to conformity. There's a purpose in Paul's prayer. There are stepping stones in it. And when we come to the last part of his prayer, he is bringing us to a pinnacle at which the people of God are conformed to be what God has called them so to be. In verse number 19, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To know the love of Christ. That is the comprehending of the love that is taking possession of the love taking it into our own hearts by faith but then there is the, the knowing it in the, in, the, in the sense of knowing it from experience it's not intellectual although it, that's partly intellectual but the whole process that Paul is praying for is so that the love of God the love of Christ will be so part of their whole being that they will experience its transforming power in their own minds and in their own lives day by day. It comes from, from knowing someone personally. person can say, I love you, or we can say to somebody, I love you, but there may no, not, not, might not be any evidence of that. A claim for love calls for evidence, it calls for activity. Love is as strong as death, 
love is a powerful dynamic and here is Paul praying for them that they will know that love working powerfully inside of them like a mighty flowing river that that flows with all of its power within themselves so that it flows out into all that they do in life. And the conformity uh, begins when, when that is happening in our lives. When everything on the inside is working through our meditation, through our experience, through our understanding, through the feeling of being loved by God and of loving God in return. And to know in the depths of our experience, in, in our emotions, in our affections, in our willing, to know in the depths of our hearts what it is to be loved with such a great love. A love that is beyond our knowing completely, but yet a love that we are to know and to experience and to go on experience more and more offered as we are changed and conformed to be what God would want us to be. And that conformity comes ultimately with you being filled with all the fullness of God. It brings us right back to the capacity at the beginning where where God must, must change your hearts for Christ Jesus to dwell. We're coming back to this whole idea of filling. The image behind it is the full manning of a ship or a net being full. It speaks about everything being in its place and, and ready to, for, for action. In the Old Testament, the, the the person was set apart for the, the service of, of God in the sanctuary. His hands were filled. In other words, he was prepared to serve God at the tabernacle. And here, Paul, at the pinnacle of his prayer, he is praying that their hands would be filled, that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. And surely, no prayer can go higher than praying for that to happen. The fullness of God that cannot be measured because he is the eternal, everlasting God that we are to be filled with that fullness. And, and in the image that one of the, the commentators uses, that because of, of our being created and finite we can never be filled with with the fullness of God because of the greatness and the infinite nature of God but yet like a small vessel that is constantly being filled from the larger vessel that, that, that so we go on filled more and more from the larger vessel that he is in, in all of his grace in the beauty of his character and the gift of his spirit and his reign in our lives, that fullness, that reservoir, that we are fixed onto that and that the small vessel of our human minds and human hearts are so fixed on the fullness of God that that's where we're nourished 
That's where we've conformed. That's where we've changed into his likeness. And for the people of God and the stepping stones of this prayer, that's where a healthy heart will bring the child of God individually and will bring the people of God collectively. And tonight, let's, uh, let's ensure as we reflect on that, that we turn the taps off everything else that, that fills our hearts so as to displace and to drive away, as it were, the presence of the Lord Jesus and to make sure that our vessel is connected to the fullness of God, the fullness of Christ himself. In him dwells the fullness of the deity of God and hanging on and living on and living for all that God is. May that be what feeds our lives. May it be what gives us healthy hearts uh, and may all of the, the vitamins of the, of the fullness of God enable us to thrive in our relationship with them and therefore to be together the body of people that, that like the priests of the tabernacle having your hands filled having your hearts filled ready to serve the God who has called us to be his children and to be his servants may God bless his word to us let us pray most gracious God, we rejoice in you as the God who is our Father in heaven. And as Paul bowed his knee and prayed to you for the church in Ephesus, we bow our heads now and we pray to you for ourselves individually, for ourselves as your people, and for your church in the world. May we have that longing that Paul had for them. May we have that sense of communion with you and communion with one another, that sense of commitment and that sense of being conformed and that sense of living for you with your joy in our hearts and longing every day to have more and more of the love which is immeasurable and of the fullness which uh, we can never uh, know to its extremity. Help us to live day by day crying out to you and in prayer, engage with you, and so that by faith and through faith, all of these things will take place in our everyday lives. Hear our prayer, we ask. Forgive us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.